Welcome to the Technician Academy podcast. This episode is powered by Premium Guard Filters. To view the first-to-market coverage, visit pgfilters.com. If this is your first time tuning in, we want to extend a very warm welcome to you, as well as to our frequent listeners and subscribers. Every other week, our host and ASE Master Technician, Richard Young, takes you behind the scenes with successful shop owners, future industry leaders, and other prevalent industry thought leaders who share their industry knowledge and explain how the technicians of today and tomorrow are being impacted. In this episode, you'll hear from Pinnacle Automotive shop owner, Dan Williford, an individual who truly believes in the value of treating each customer with respect. Williford understands that these relationships and the trust built between the shop and the customer directly impacts the success of the shop. In this podcast, Richard and Williford discuss the issue of auto tech shortages that we're experiencing across the nation and how he thinks the industry can attract new talent. We really hope that you enjoy this episode of Technician Academy's podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our channels and rate us on iTunes. And we're always open to suggestions and feedback. So feel free to shoot us an email or leave comments on our social posts and website. Thanks again for tuning in. Here's your host. Welcome to today's Technician Academy podcast. We're fortunate enough to have Dan Williford with us today. He's the owner of Pinnacle Automotive in Holly Springs, North Carolina. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Richard. Thank you. So, Dan, uh, you know, we met a few years back at a position. We was both at a, worked at a uh, location, and, and we met and, and got acquainted there. And since then, you've, you've opened up a repair shop. Kind of give us a background of your time in the industry. Um, I got started uh, as a kid, believe it or not. My grandfather had a couple of auto parts stores um, in North Carolina. And um, so I started working for him uh, as soon as I could. I mean, he had me in there you know, sweeping floors and putting up stock and doing things like that. And uh, that grew over time to a, a counter sales position. Uh, and then when I was in college. I also worked for a couple of parts stores. I worked as a technician uh, for a period of time um, and then continued working in parts stores. But that ultimately led to a position with an aftermarket distributor. Um, I worked at their uh, field sales and at their headquarters office in the late 90s. And uh, then sometime down the road, went to work for the manufacturer where I met you. Uh, that was a, a, a manufacturer of automotive parts. And I uh, did that job for a number of years, then went back to the distribution side uh, in San Antonio, Texas. And um, ultimately decided that uh, I wanted that, you know, I'd, I'd had experience on the, the distribution side and the parts store side and the uh, manufacturing side. Uh, and I had worked a lot with. Um, technicians and independent repair shops uh, through my time at, in, in all of those roles. And, uh, you know, just kind of kind of saw a need. Uh, we wanted to get back to North Carolina. And uh, you know, I, I, I bought an existing business, and uh, everything just kind of fell into place when that, that first meeting and the, the, the uh, you know, negotiations and all that stuff went down. It, it everything just kind of rolled into place, and um, wound up wound up here uh, running an automotive repair shop. 
Yeah. So you've been there about four years. Yes, sir. So you bring some, and that's part of the excitement I have with bringing you as a podcast guest, Dan, is is the the intertwined automotive industry that you've been in, uh, you know, being starting out of the parts store, uh, working as a tech, working with an aftermarket manufacturers and then distribution, you've seen a lot of different aspects of the automotive industry. So, and then now as a shop owner, speaking of the shop, it's, it's located in Holly Springs, North Carolina, and it was an existing shop. How long had it been there prior to you taking over? Uh, the, the former owner established it in 1999. Okay, so uh, you had an established clientele coming in. Is it, give us a description, is it three bays, four bays, how many techs do you got? Yeah, I've got, I've got six bays full with lifts. Um, I've got uh, two full-time technicians, and, and I also have a service advisor whose background is as a technician, so he can, uh, he can, he can do double duty if we're incredibly busy. Um, I'll run the front, and, uh, and, and he'll, he'll go in the back and, and, and turn wrenches and do diagnostics and, and, you know, all of the things that, that, uh, that good technicians do. So do you find, uh, I mean, because that's not necessarily the norm sometimes. Uh, sometimes the service advisors slash managers are more of a sales type personality. Do you find that it's an advantage that he has that technical background? It really is um, because he's he's lived it. Um, he's, he's done the work. Um, he can explain it to customers in a way that, uh, that they understand. He, he's got a little bit of a unique background, too. He's got some... Uh, uh, aftermarket parts sales background too, um, in addition to spending about 25, 30 years as a technician. Um, and, well, I think what he brings is credibility. Um, and, and, you know, we, like, we pride ourselves on, on being very transparent and honest with our customers. And in, in some ways it helps having him up front as an interface with the customer because a, he can translate the customer needs to the technicians. Uh, he can translate the, technician recommendations back to the customer and he's got some credibility behind him because you know he's got the experience doing it yeah so that that's a great combination and i'm sure you see the advantage of that at the shop is there i mean are you a general repair or do you specialize in anything any particular system or, or vehicle yeah the shop got its start as a honda and acura specialist um and the prior owner started branching out from just hondas and, and acuras um Probably, I would say, uh, late 2000s, around 2010, somewhere in in that area. And uh, from that point, it's grown into more of a general repair. We still see probably more um, Asian vehicles than anything. Um, But now we see a a, a fair amount of domestic vehicles and European vehicles as well. Okay. Uh, So Holly Springs, give us in relation, where is it located in relation to a larger metro area? Sure, it's a it's a suburb of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, it's it's probably a twenty minute drive to get up into Raleigh. Um, so you know, Research Triangle. That's a kind of a bedroom community for the Research Triangle Park area uh, and 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 the greater you know Raleigh Durham metropolitan area. So that kind of gives us an idea of what the demographics of your customers are. And that's very important as you, as you expand a repair shop, knowing what those demographics are and how the customers will, will adapt with you. So, yeah. And, and it, it's, it's, I think it's the fastest growing part of, uh, of Wake County, which is the, the county that Raleigh's in. Uh, so it's, it was, uh, 
you know, when I was looking at businesses, it, that was attractive uh, from the standpoint that there were a lot of new folks coming in and a lot of new construction happening, those kinds of things. So what made you pick that particular, other than just things fell together, but, I mean, did you have a list to pick from, the shops that were for sale, or did you hear yeah, that? I did. I, 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 I did some searching online looking for shops. I, we knew we wanted to be close to North Carolina. Uh, my family's here. My wife's family's in Virginia. Uh, so we knew we wanted to get back to this area because uh, we'd, we'd spent quite some time uh, traveling around the country with, with different jobs um, and, and kind of wanted to get back home. Uh, and this, either either Charlotte or Raleigh uh, in North Carolina, seemed like the best areas from a, a growth perspective. Um, and I would I preferred uh, the Raleigh area just, just because of proximity to the rest of our families. Um, and it, like I say, it, everything just kind of fell into place uh, when the when the, the conversation started with the prior owner. Well, that's good. That's good. And, and so you got a family, three kids. Uh, are any of them interested in in the shop? <laughs> they are not. Um, <laughs> they they help out around here, and uh, my oldest son will come in, and he, he's learned enough to know how to do you know oil changes and tire rotations and things like that. Uh, and he'll bring in his car and, and, and do those things. Uh, but he, he has, uh, he's much more of a scientific minded person than I am. So he, he's going to probably going to pursue something along, uh, that path. Yeah. I mean, and, but that's good that he has an understanding of the basics, uh, as he goes through life, I, I believe. Yeah. I, I think it's important, um, you know, to, to, to show your kids the, the basics, how to change a tire, um, I'm going to digress for a second. Uh, you know, one of the things we do is we, we help out. Some, we've got some, but there's a pretty active homeschooling community around here. And uh, one of the things that we started doing is putting on a Saturday class for those homeschool groups and bringing kids in who are right at driving age and showing them all the basics of, you know, how do you check your oil? What happens if you blow a tire on the side of the road? How do you change it? Um, so, you know, we got, we, we try to, I try to spread that around beyond, you know, just my kids and having to know how to do, you know, some of the basic things, but we try to integrate that into the community as well. So that's, I mean, community outreach, just educating future drivers on the, on the basics of the vehicle has to be positive influence for the shop. It, it is. It's, uh, it's been, it's been pretty successful so far. And I've been really impressed with the kids who come in because, I'll be honest with you, my initial expectation was that I was going to have a bunch of kids sitting and, you know, just kind of staring at me as I, I talked about things. But we made it interactive, and, uh, you know, all the kids had a chance to, to come in and actually change a tire on a vehicle and, and you know, learn how to, to jack the vehicle up safely and know the kinds of things that they might need uh, in the event of a roadside emergency. Yeah. So and yeah. who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll uh, inspire one of them to to become a technician one day. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you never know what what it takes to light a fire in, in a future technician. Uh, so that kind of outreach uh, is that something you decided to do on your own, or did someone give you the nudge to to see the advantage of that? Um, it was. It was. Uh, my wife is is pretty active in the business, and uh, and we homeschool our two youngest. Um, so she's affiliated with that group and, uh, and she started talking to me about it, uh, several months ago. And, um, we, we worked with that local homeschooling group to start putting together a series of seminars and we try to do one a month. 
Okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. And and that's kind of breaking down that image that, for lack of a better term, it's a negative image that auto repair has had over the last few years. And, and that's, you know, when you asked earlier about the, um, you know, one of the, one of the drivers for, for uh, getting into the auto repair side of the business, there's a, a real need for, for shops to be transparent and involved in the community. And I see we've got a lot of great shops around here. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the small independent shops around here operate the same way. You know, they'll put on classes, they'll, they'll do some outreach. Um, and, and I think that's important to try to, you know, clean up what is a little bit of a tarnished image and in a lot of cases, an undeserved tarnished image. Um, but in a lot of cases, a deserved tarnished image, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are, I mean, and, and but that that's the case in any industry, you know, you're going to have, those individuals or those businesses that uh, do not operate at a, at a transparent level and right. uh, it makes it look bad for the rest of everyone else in that industry right. and i think the automotive industry as a whole uh, and and i definitely want you to weigh in on this because you've been in about every position within the automotive industry except at the oe <laughs> level uh i mean i'm not saying that in a bad way i mean when we met, uh, you know, you brought some outstanding ideas to the company that, that I was with, that we were with. So I know you have that thought process and then thinking forward. So, but as this industry has evolved, we've not been very good as an industry in, in whole of representing ourselves and exactly what is involved in repairing today's cars. Right. And it, it is important because, you know, the it, it's not like in the you know, seventies, um, where, you know, you could just <clears throat> change some parts and, and make everything work, you know, modern vehicles, some of the, the latest ones is, is everybody listening to this knows, um, have got as many as, you know, 54 different computer modules that are networked together. So, you know, the, the technicians of today are as much that, you know, they're, they're diagnosticians, they're, they're, um, computer repair guys they've got to understand plumbing they've got to understand electricity they've got to understand hydraulics so it is important to let the general public know that you know what we're engaged in is a a very complicated set of systems um in some cases where where things go wrong and you know the the one of the key things that i've I've talked to my guys about and talked to my customers about is it's not the, the auto, auto repair is never a fun uh, uh, experience for most people, but you know it's not us the shop versus then the customer. It's it's the customer and the shop versus the machine, um, and it's a very complicated machine. Um, and and, and it, there is an educational process that happens here that you know we we show people um, how the systems work together, um, and and we'll you know, print out the diagnostic reports and go over them with the customers to help them understand what it takes to properly diagnose, you know, today's vehicles. Um, you know, we, we get, sometimes you get pushback on charging for uh, diagnostic and, you know, but I found that the best way to avoid that pushback is to show people the $4,000 diagnostic tool that you have to use um, to properly repair their car. Um, and, and help them understand the, the complexity behind a lot of the repairs. 
Um, you know, we're not just in there swapping out a, a part uh, with, with two bolts to, to get their car running again. It's it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, like you're doing with the outreach with them children, it's it's an education process. You're educating the customer on, on really what, what they've got and and what it takes to, to repair that uh, issue. So, right. yeah, I mean, uh, definitely beneficial to the customer and it, I'm sure it builds some loyalty with that customer and and that is something that's very important in owning a repair shop. Yeah, it is because if, if customers feel like you're you're trying to hide something from them uh, about their car, you know, we we just kind of lay it all out there for them. Here, here's what's wrong. Um, here's here's a safety issue that you have to fix today. Um, here's some other things going on that you know we can we can put off you know till the next visit. And here's some things we're going to watch for for potential future problems. And I think if you approach it that way and are transparent um, about what you're doing and how you're getting there. Uh, it it gives people the ability to understand what you're doing, and and they're more willing to see the value in your services and pay for those services. Yeah, and, and what you're saying about the transparency, I, I find that, and we've had several shop owners on the podcast, and that is one thing that is in common uh, with them all. I mean, they're all successful, is they are transparent with their customer. They they look at it, and I like the way you said that. It's customer in the shop versus the machine. They all approach that. So that, that's a common denominator between uh, successful shops that I've found is, is that transparency, that being honest with the customer and telling them what can happen and, and if they don't repair it or, uh, you know, some things that they need to look out for today. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of really great independent shops that operate that way. I mean, even in my market area, um, you know, I've got, I've got competition who I've got a lot of respect for because they, they do operate uh, that way. And I think that helps the industry. As a whole, if, if, you know, more and more of, of the places where people go to get their cars repaired are, are operating with that transparency and, and you know, trying to operate hand-in-hand um, hand with the customer, not against the customer, not trying to sell them things they don't need. And, and you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it's not about, you know, fixing everything on the car today. It's about making the car safe and building a long-term relationship with your customers um, so that they, you know, that they trust what you tell them. Uh, they, they trust what you tell them needs to be done. And, they, and likewise, they trust what you tell them they can put off. Yeah, and that's that's very important because, you know, with that, that mentality of, you know, you need to fix this today. This is a safety issue, and but you can you can hold off on repairing this for for a month or, or so, and it does it it leads to trust. I mean, and they respect that, and and all the customers I've dealt with in that manner uh, are thankful for it. So yeah, so you you've got two technicians, or you might say three. Were they at the repair shop when you bought it, or did you have to find them? Um, I, one guy was here. Um, and uh, I am, uh, extremely lucky and blessed that, uh, he decided to stay and, uh, and, and, and take the ride with me. Um, he's a, a incredibly good technician. Um, and I, I'm lucky to have him. Um, uh, but he is the, uh, he's the only guy that, that came with the business. So you had, you had to go and, and put out some feelers and, and some ads and, and try to find a technician. How hard was that to do? Uh, that was incredibly difficult. It took 
um, probably probably five months to find the right guy. Um, and uh, it, it was um, it, it, it's a it's a tough market to find talent in. Um, it's a tough market to find, uh, you know, good guys who, who can diagnose, uh, complex problems, um, and who are willing to, to do the work because as you know, it's not an easy job. No, it's, it's, I will say this, it's a lot easier today than it was 30 years ago. Um, yes, right. Because, because of the components that fail today. Right. The, the difficult part of today's in, in automotive repair is, is first off, making sure you diagnose it properly. And then sometimes an engineer somewhere decided to put a component in a place that makes absolutely no sense. And as a technician, you've got to try to get to it. Uh, right. <laughs> so, so those yeah, are the difficult build- pieces. Yeah, they don't build them. Uh, how many times have you stood back and looked and diagnosed something? Uh, the other day I had a... Uh, blower motor resistor and i stood back and i looked at the where the wires come from the blower fan and i'm like ah they didn't put that up in there did they and, and sure enough they did and yeah. you know it's like that's crazy yeah and so you can definitely tell uh there there are some cases where it looks like they built the whole car, car around uh the one part you need to get to to change yeah i mean and and i see why they do it sometimes but there's sometimes that i just like to ask an engineer why why did you do it this way Right, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So, I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is, is early Ford uh, air conditioners in the late eighty, mid late eighties. They had the quick connect fittings, and and I knew why they done it because it made it quicker on the assembly line. But man, them things would leak all the time. So yeah, it's just one of those things that you look and you think, why did you do it that way? Yeah. Well, to your point, you know, they they're building for production efficiency, and uh, they're no they they want to put it together as fast as they can. And they're it's I guess it's not their concern what's going to break down the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of some of these components you just about got to be uh, double joint and and uh part houdini to be able to get to so that's right especially under the time time frame that they expect you to be able to replace it so yeah that that's true and there, there's um you know that 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 leads to a what could be a, a completely different discussion about you know uh labor times and and published labor times and those kinds of things but uh, we, we could probably spend an hour on that alone well yeah we could i believe so but one thing i do want in our discussion i mean i'm glad honestly whenever we worked together so many years ago uh when i seen that you bought a repair shop i was like man that surprises me and uh and uh but then i've kind of followed you on social media and 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 watched how things are progressing and you know in our discussions prior to this recording you know you're you're doing well and uh it's great to see that thank you for that because you have seen a lot of the pieces of the industry and and now we're getting in going back to what we was talking about just a few seconds ago about finding a technician back when we first met there was discussion in the industry about the shortage of technicians and now do you, i think we're getting close to the cliff where it's actually going to become reality uh what's your opinion on that yeah i, I would agree um we as an industry need to do a better job um and, and explaining to folks what it what it takes to do this work, um, the challenges, both the challenges and the rewards, um, and it, it's you know it's a, it's 
it is a difficult. You got to be a smart guy to do this, um, to diagnose things the right way, and then figure out the the best way to to um, complete the repair uh, once you once you have an accurate diagnosis. And but you know you're 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 on your feet. Um, to your point that you mentioned earlier, sometimes you've got to be a contortionist uh, to get to get to the part. Um, and that goes back in a lot of ways to educating the the general public on the complexity, the level of complexity of of doing this job. And you know you're not gonna. That's you know part of part of my drive to to be transparent and to and to be honest and to build good relationships with our customers, and to by getting out in the community is to um, take the public's perception of what we do up a level um, and, and help them to understand that, you know, we're dealing with a network machine um, that's got, you know, electrical lines, plumbing lines, hydraulic lines, HVAC lines. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is a, a very complicated machine to repair. And, you know, we, the guys who repair it are, are, are not, you know, just some some guy who who decided to change parts because he couldn't do something else. These are smart guys who who have a lot of training, who have a huge investment in tools and knowledge um, to do the job. And, and the only way we can raise the level of of uh, the only way we can attract more qualified technicians into the industry is by at a grassroots level raising the perception of the industry um, and and. You know that's that's critical, and I, because the, it, it is not easy to find a qualified technician today. Do you think, as an independent shop owner, do you feel that it's harder for you to attract a quality technician as opposed to, let's say, an OE dealership? The dealerships do have some advantages. Um, you know, you're working on one make, um, typically, or or you know, a couple of makes, typically. Um, the working conditions are often better. Um, you know, a lot of those guys are, 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 are the dealerships are in um, air conditioned enclosed shops. Um, so from that perspective, it's tough. The what we offer is as an independent is some flexibility. You know, we are Monday through Friday um, at eight, eight o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night. Um, we, you know, my guys aren't a number to me. Um, you know, so it's it, it's difficult to get them in the door. It's difficult to to when you know when you put a job posting out there, you you get some resumes. When you, when you find the good guys, it's hard to get them in the door because they see you as a small shop and they're concerned about volume and they're concerned about you know when you can they make it. Um, but you know we we're we offer um, health insurance uh, through the company. Um, you know, we, we've got a, a good vacation plan. We're flexible with, with you know, if, if my guys, but a couple of my, my guys all have kids. If they need to take off and go take care of a kid, I let them take off and go take care of a kid. And, you know, those intangibles, um, well, some of them are tangible, you know, the health insurance is huge, but some of the other intangibles about working for an, an independently owned shop, um, are attractive to some guys who've been in the industry. Um, you know, some guys want the hours, some guys want the air conditioned, uh, some guys want to work on one make and model. Um, 
but you know, for 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 good guys, if if the hardest part again is just getting a good guy to darken your door, um, and but once you do that, you know, we we try to put an attractive compensation plan in place. We try to put attractive benefits in place, um, and and you know, as a small independent business, that's not easy. That's a, that's a big expense, but to me, it's an expense that's worth it to attract and retain qualified guys. Yeah. So I mean. You might say once if if you get one interested and and get to where you can talk to him once he f- sees the atmosphere that he's going to be working in it, to me that would be more attractive than the the dealership and and my experience with dealerships is is you're a number and and you have to produce x amount of hours right. a week and if you don't and it doesn't matter if your child was homesick with the flu or if you whatever uh you still expected to produce those hours and right. uh so that end of, that is a that is a definite advantage that an independent shop can offer over a, an oe dealership i believe uh not to say that there's not some oe dealerships out there that are smaller and uh and i and have that independent feel i have seen a few of those right. but about 2008 2009 those dealerships left left the industry quite right. a bit right so yeah I, you know you mentioned um that you got the the technicians and and the service advisor how much training do they go after uh or how much training do you provide to them to help them do their job yeah any training opportunities that come along i will put in front of uh of the, the team and, and see who's interested and, and if they want to go then i will i will pay for any cost associated with that um in addition i will pay for, on successful completion of um, ASE certifications. We pay for all of that. Um, so, you know, it's a training is, 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 is a pretty critical part of, uh, of doing this job in order to, to stay current on, on changes in vehicle technology and changes in diagnostic strategies. Um, so yeah, any, any opportunities that come around, I put in front of them and anybody who's interested, we will we'll take care of the training bill for that. So and and really that benefits them and, and the and the business. Uh, that's right. I mean that, that's a direct. Uh, yeah, it's a cost, but it's a direct benefit too. Yeah, well, it's it's an it's an investment. Yes. Yeah. It's it's an investment. It's as as much of an investment as a scan tool. Right. What uh, you know, we talked about uh, briefly about the industry's image and and how hard it is to get technicians. What do you think's caused this shortage? Is it is it because we've not portrayed ourselves as as the truly technical industry that it is, or what do you feel has caused it? Well, you're you're uh, like me, old enough to remember back in the the '90s when the the news media started going after you know, repair shops, whether it was change or independence. And, you know, they came out with all these negative, um, negative reviews and it was, it seemed to be on the news all the time. And, you know, I I think, I think that did a lot of of damage to the industry as a whole because, and, and, you know, maybe it needed to be exposed. Um, but, um, you know, it, it takes some time to recover from that. And, and again, you got to be a smart guy to do this and be successful at it. And, you know, uh, a lot of smart guys would rather hop a desk uh, than, than stand on a, a concrete floor under a lift under a car. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, the, it, it, you know, it's, it, I, I agree with you in some respects that it is a lot easier to, to conduct repairs today than it was 30 years ago because, you know, the computers help you help you get there. Um, but by the same token, 30 years ago, you didn't have to understand computers to do the repair. 
Um, so it, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of technology. It's a little bit of, of, again, educating the public. It's raising the perception of the industry. I mean, I, I think all, I th- it, it's a, it's a, it's a bigger issue than just nobody wants to, to do this work. Um, you know, and I, and I think it's an issue that's built over time. But what I am happy to say is with a lot, again, of the independent guys I see around here and, and hear about from you and, and, you know, read in some of the industry magazines, I think most of the independent shops out there are really trying to change that perception. Um, and I, I think ultimately we will change that perception, but it's just going to take some time. Um, you know, you, not to get off on a tangent, but, you know, you got Mike Rowe out there saying that we, we have a shortage of, of, you know, technical workers. And, you know, in a lot of ways, he's right. Um, you know, we, we've got, um, well, we haven't made this kind of work attractive. And well, we haven't made this kind of work, we haven't given this kind of work the credibility it deserves. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, when I entered the industry, 30 some years ago the the attraction of being able to uh, be successful in 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 a repair being able to fix something you know and yeah and that sounds simple but i think there's a lot of students out there and young people that uh, might be mechanically apt with their hands but because they weren't aware of the career path within the automotive industry uh, they chose not to do it and and they like me would enjoy that that success of of a repair uh, sure. So yeah, I, I I think you hit on a lot of pieces there that that are very true. And, and one of the interesting aspects that you bring to the podcast is is your different positions within the industry. So my next question is is directed towards your history within the industry and how do you feel that I mean because in my opinion the guy who opens the box and takes the part out is is the true customer of of any manufacturer. Agreed. I mean, in the past, you know, it's been looked at a little bit differently, but I think that's starting to change a little bit. So how could a distribution, uh, you know, one of the big four or a major automotive aftermarket manufacturer, how can they use some of their resources to to help improve this for the independent? That's a good question. You know, it's it's from those guys, it's it's access to, to information. Really, you know, on the, the distribution side, it, On the, the distribution side, where you you got, I, I, I would like for um, parts decisions, supply supplier decisions to be made less on cost and more on quality. Um, you know that that would help in some cases uh, with the guy who is the ultimate customer, the guy who opens up the box, throws away the box, and installs the part. Um, you know, because as you know, you know, if, if a if a car comes back because of a bad part, um, the shop doesn't get paid for it. Now, I pay my guys if it's for a bad part because that's not their fault. Um, but you know, that I see a lot of guys get frustrated at other shops that don't pay for for warranty repairs um, because some of the, the because of the quality of some of what they're getting. 
And I don't think I answered your question. I think I took it off. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I, but that is a part of the part of the solution, I, I think. And I agree with that. Is is the quality of parts uh, is extremely important. And in that situation, I don't know your policy, but you know when you get a bad part, and in customers that I still work on their vehicles, I get a bad part. I can't recharge. I can't charge them for that repair again. Yep, that's right. And, that's right. It's under warranty, and we're doing it for free. Yeah, and but then I turn around to my distribution uh, parts store, and I, I try to get them to pay for, for part of it. And say it was a, a three-hour job, and I recently had one. And, you know, well, we'll give you $50. Right. Yeah, you get, you get, can, about a, you get maybe a third of what, what you got into uh, the repair back on, on any kind of warranty claim. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, if you get it, if you get the warranty claim, uh, if they, they find in right. your in your favor. Uh, right. This, this, this was clearly a manufacturing issue. I mean, the, the hub fell off of a water pump. So, you know, that wasn't in what I had installed. I mean, uh, right. so, you know, in those situations, uh, that's difficult. And that, and that causes some angst, you might say, with the technician because he sees you as as family i mean you set up that right that thought process yeah he's getting paid but he also sees you know you're having to to carry the brunt of that and you know that causes some some angst there with the technician well you know in a perfect world we could get dealership parts in and um you know or dealership quality parts in and everything would be would be you know easier to put on and and but you know the reality is, if you're and, and anybody listening to this who's an independent shop knows that you know if you sourced all your parts from the dealer, you you go out of business quick because your your margins will be too low to stay in business. Yeah, it's just not so uh, so not feasible. Yeah, right. So uh, so that's what I mean on the aftermarket side. I, I, I do I, the focus is less on less on cost and quality. And you know, look, I've I've been the manufacturing side i've been on the distribution side I, I understand you know we're all in it to make money but um you know the the, the there has been a, a pretty substantial decrease in overall parts quality over the past few years um and you know if, if that that goes along you know the last thing a guy wants to do is come in here and fix the problem like so say say we're successful say we get a smart guy coming out of um high school or college who decides he wants to uh you know be a technician and he gets in the industry and you know comes in and is excited because he's going to you know the, I'm, I'm a fix-it guy i'm going to figure this out i'm going to get it repaired and then two three weeks later the car comes back because of a bad part and he's got to do it again and how many times does that happen before a guy says okay you know this is you know enough yeah, and, and there's not much of anything more frustrating, speaking personally, than seeing a vehicle come in on a hook that I just sent out <laughs> two weeks ago, and it's still it's got the same problem, and it's a mechanical failure, not a diagnostic. Right. Yeah, yeah that's the, that's the, very frustrating. Yeah, the pucker factor is always high when you see a car you just recently worked on coming in on a on a hook oh yeah because what distribution and with your experience in distribution and manufacturing what especially the manufacturers have a hard time understanding is is what that costs a repair shop oh yeah that's that's your reputation that's your trust you know i, I brought my car into you and i spent 300 700 1200 whatever the number may be and in a, in a short time later 
I had to bring it back. And they don't care if the park was bad. Um, you know, all they know is I spent this money and now my car doesn't work. Now, you know, you can't explain it. Um, and most, most of our customers were very lucky and that most of our customers are very understanding, uh, when, when a part fails and it comes back in, uh, cause obviously we stand behind it. Um, but you know, every time that happens, it's a little, it's a little ding to your reputation. It's a little ding to the, your, your credibility and the level of trust that your customers have. And you're right. The distributors and manufacturers don't feel that thing at all. No, they absolutely don't. And uh, you know, and, that, and that's a situation where not only is it costing you because you're going to have to redo the repair again, but if it's a two-hour repair, that's two hours that you didn't have another customer's vehicle in the bay uh, right. that, making revenue. Right. So it, it definitely has a domino effect. Yeah. A two-hour repair, if it comes back, is going to cost you four hours worth of labor. Uh, right, exactly. You might say. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean... And, and, that, and that's not to say that, you know, the distributors aren't doing a good job with some of the programs they're putting out to help support us. Um, that's not saying the manufacturers aren't doing a good job with, um, you know, back-end side of this, putting the right data out there about the parts so that, so that on the the on our side, we can we can get to the right part that we need um, online quickly um, and, and the right technical information we need to do that quickly. That's not to say that they're not doing a good job on all those fronts. But... Yeah, it's it's you know the I I would just prefer to see a little more focus on on quality over cost. I I, I agree. I, I agree. And that that again is a domino effect of the distribution request quality, and then the manufacturer has to come up with the quality. So uh, right. again, that's the domino effect of it. So uh, you know, like we've talked, uh, Technician Academy, we go to a lot of the community colleges and put on training events, and, and something very similar to you know, what you're doing with the, the children on a Saturday. And and I continually hear from the community college instructors that they'll tell me, you know, I would talk about the technician shortage and, and you know, the quality of, of students they've got. And they continually tell me that manufacturing is stealing a big part of their student. Uh, when I say stealing, they're actually recruiting them to go into the manufacturing industry instead of go out into the bay. Right. What, uh, I mean... In your experience, I mean, you've got a, a young son. What can we do as an industry? One targeted piece, if we could only pick one piece, what can we do to attract those students? Well, there's a, you know, when, <clears throat> I can't speak to what other shops do, but I, I, uh, I try to pay my guys a, 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 a good wage. You know, they're obviously flat rate, but, um, you know, you, they've got to be paid for what they do. They've got to feel like that they're being compensated for what they're bringing to the table. Uh, and again, it being such a, a complicated job, um, you know, from both an experience standpoint, from a, a toolbox standpoint, from a, a intelligence standpoint, um, we need to make these guys feel like that they're going to be compensated for what they're, they're, the level of knowledge and experience they're bringing to the table. And, you know, I, I don't think, I, I, you know, I dare say that a, a guy, a good guy in a shop can make more money than a guy on a manufacturing line. Um, but we've not done a good job conveying that to the, to the general public. And that's, that is exactly what the instructors will tell me. You know, the, the manufacturing is offering 15, 14, $15 an hour, $16 an hour starting wage. And, and 
that student doesn't isn't required to have a set of tools uh right. you know and, and they're starting out at, at a higher wage than and a lot of a lot of students start out at in a repair shop so yeah i think i think that's a key part of it and it depends upon your market that you're in how much you can compensate Right, right. But, and you bring up a good point on the, the, the tools. You know, a guy can go right in and have a, a, a decent wage and, and not have to make any additional investments above and beyond, you know, some, some training that the manufacturer um, requires. But in our industry, there's a, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 or more investment in just the right tools to do the job. So... Dan, I mean, I've, I've taken you away from the shop and for quite some time here, roughly about an hour. And, and, and I appreciate your time. I appreciate, I appreciate our friendship. I'm thankful for that. Uh, thankful that we met so many years ago. And, and, and your opinions and your ideas that you bring to the industry are, are refreshing. What? Well, I'm, 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 I'm pleased to see where you're at, too. <laughs> I think uh, I, this, is a, this, is a, a, this is a good role for you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Dan, if if you had the opportunity to to present a keynote speech to some young people, and, and when I say young people, I'm talking high school, let's say high school freshmen. Sure. And not necessarily focused on automotive, but what would be your what would be what would you tell them? What would be the focus or the topic of your of your speech? Well, if it was if it if it was from an automotive side, I think I would want to share the the complexity of, of the modern vehicle um, and and help those students, you know, whether they get into auto repair or whether they get into some other skilled trade. I, I think it's important. This goes back to educating the customer. It's just educating them at, a, at an earlier spot. Um, I think it's important for them to understand that even base model cars now have four or five different computer modules that are communicating with each other. Um you know, some of this, you know, the new, well, I say new, relatively new drive-by-wire technology, um, gasoline direct injection. These are technologies that are are pretty cutting-edge and innovative um, that I think most people don't understand. And I think that, again, goes back to building the credibility of our industry, um, building up the perception of our in- industry by educating Kids, the general public, whoever, on the fact that this is the, the the this machine that you get into with four wheels and a steering wheel, um, is 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 a, a network computer. Um, it's it's got hydraulic components. It's got electromechanical components, and it is an incredibly complicated series of systems working together to, to move you down the road and, you know, get your work and get your kids to school. Um, and because I think that building that understanding that it's not just changing the part, you know, we don't, we don't walk out, um, you know, knock on the starter with a hammer and change it and say, okay, that's, you know, that's fixed. Um, that the, 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 the days of that kind of repair are, are gone. And so I think the more we can do to educate folks on, you know, this is complicated. This is, this is, um, it, you know, you, you got to be a smart guy to do this job. And a lot of that, a lot of public perception of smart guys doing that job comes from explaining to them the complexity of the vehicle that they're leaving with us for service. Yeah, and that's that's very true. I think you hit on a, some key points there. You know, it's. Um... It's not just, uh, I mean, 
I remember a time when a tune-up consisted of, of changing points or setting cleaning points. And, <laughs> and, and that just doesn't happen anymore because, I mean, people don't realize that the complexity of, of diagnosing today's vehicle. And, uh, you know, especially these, these students, just getting them to understand the technology. I mean, they have technology. They've grown up in technology. And I think if they understood more of how much technology is in today's vehicle, that would help bring them into into the, the repair side. You know, so... Uh, it's been a great discussion I, I can't believe we've been discussing you know recording now for for an hour a little over an hour or, or right at an hour and and definitely i look forward to future podcasts with you it's, you know you're being busy with the shop and with family but i'm thankful that you found a, a, some time for me to to get this episode together i'm thankful for that but i always like to ask you know a, a more of a light-hearted question dan if you could have, if I could put any vehicle in the world that's ever been manufactured in your shop for you to drive and your wife, what would it be? Well, I, I probably already got it. I'm not a, I'm not a real complicated guy. I've got an old 1971 NGB GT, um, old little old British car that that I drive, and I've had it about 15 years, and uh, you know that's that's about as that's about as fun as it gets for me. I, I enjoy that little car. And, um, you know, a lot of people go, Oh, that car is cute. And I always have to say, no, it's not cute. It's a sports car, but you know, that's, that's I, different I, discussion. Yeah. I, I think I, uh, I think I give you a little bit of grief over that car when we work together. So yeah. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, yeah. I do remember that a little bit now. So yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, and truly, uh, I've enjoyed our discussion, and and uh, maybe we can get back together in the future and, and discuss that technician pay and and what the value of that is and and how yeah, that needs I'd to work. Him. But yeah, I look forward to that, Dan. I again, I thank you for your time. I wish you and your family some a great 2018 uh, and, and the shop. I, I think things are are rolling the right way, and uh, and and you're doing well. So. So thank you for your time, and I appreciate it. Until we speak again, Dan. Well, Richard, it's always great to talk to you, um, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. All right, give my best to your family. Thanks for listening to this episode of Technician Academy's podcast series, brought to you by Premium Guard Filters and Extend Performance. Be sure to rate us on iTunes or Google Play, and visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Please help us spread our Respect is Learned message by liking and sharing our content on your social media pages. Technician.academy, where respect is learned.